Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderpool, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, Sporting Kansas City heads back out to Phoenix for a week prior to the season opener on Saturday against Portland. They signed a center back, technically. Uh, Uri Rossell signs with the LA Galaxy, and the kit launch happened, so of course everyone was having a normal one on Twitter.com. In Tactics Corner this week, we talk about how to defend counterattacking and how Sporting goes about it, an appropriate topic given this weekend's opponent. Finally, what the hell is wrong with the U.S. Women's National Team midfield? They have some of the most dynamic and, to their opponents, terrifying attacking players and don't, be able to, don't seem to be able to get them the ball in dangerous areas in any kind of consistent manner. Cody, let's start with your favorite topic. We, I, I touched on it here. Kit designs. Did you just log off social media for a couple weeks uh, <laughs> or a couple days to avoid the plethora of comments on what is basically the epitome of subjective topic with no real right or wrong answer? I mean, it just everything that happened just confirmed my uh, my uh, my pre-held assumptions and biases against that as a as a topic. I mean, um, there are lots of lots of predictable uh, gnashing of teeth <laughs> about uh, about how how how. Uh, how awesome and and flashy everybody else's kits were and how boring ours was um even though we've you know for for years sort of asked that that the 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 team sort of have you know one iconic design and then uh and then change the other uh the other kit uh around uh use that as an opportunity to be creative and and now they're doing it and of course everybody hates it and so you know i i think that uh I, I I'm fine with the kit. I don't think anybody should ever make uh, uh, judgments on them until they see them on the field. And I I'm sure that they'll be fine on the field too. I mean, I I think what happened candidly is that for a period of time in the mid 2010s, this club came out with a lot of really cool, interesting designs for kits. Yeah. And. That was cool, but it was always something different. There was never any sort of, you know, consistency Mm -hmm. um, with the kits and what they look like. And to your point, the biggest clubs in the world, their standard kit, we talked about this last week, their standard kit is something you recognize and understand. And I think that's what Chad Reynolds and his team are trying to do is create a, a when you see it, you know, that sporting Kansas City. It was fine for a little while to play around and do fun stuff, mm-hmm. but at some point you have to have something that everyone recognizes. Yeah, and and candidly, there are other teams in MLS that have done a better job than us at this. You know, uh-huh. you saw Atlanta's kit; they basically went yep. back to their original kit, but that is them—the red and black vertical stripes. You know, that is them every time you see mm-hmm. it. And I think that there is some value. There's value to that. Um, seeing knowing who you're seeing when you look when you turn the TV on, that's Sporting Kansas City on the field. Yeah, I know that. Um, and I think that well, that's and 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 for Sporting Kansas City, reasonable. No other club in the world, really, and and any of the top teams in Europe has that color scheme. And so, I mean that 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 it will be a super identifiable. It'll be it'll be like Celtics jerseys or you know exactly. Like and that. Celtics yep. well known for their horizontal yep. stripes. That's that's what they're known for. Um, and there are some other, you know, I'm trying to think if there are other ones I can think of that do this, but horizontal you, stripes aren't I mean, super common. Juventus has a, an iconic jersey, and but it's um, vertical. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's like who else vertical. does? Uh, who else does horizontal? I think yeah. I think the point you're making is both the color combination and the style is something that mm-hmm. is very much, you know, available yeah. to be taken advantage of as a brand identity, and that's something that you know I think is fine. I look, I. It's so subjective, man. Some people are going <laughs> to like it. Some people are going to hate it. There's going to be all these arguments and things about it. And it's just, I don't know what the point. I mean, again, we, we're so starved for something to talk about that this is yeah, what happens. Really. Every uh, every preseason, before the season starts, everybody's got to get into this conversation about bitching about ty- uh, about kits or not. I mean, there we all like different things. That's fine. I do. I actually personally, I think this one looks better than the last hoop kit. I think it's, um, 
a little cleaner, a little bit more modern. Um, so I personally like it, but I, if you don't like it, okay, don't buy it. Whatever. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I wish, uh, I wish the socks had more stripes. I will say that. Well, Chad um, talked and... about this. They, Adidas won't do it. That's the reason that they don't have them. Um, well, Adidas so is this is something confirmed. This is something that he and that's something that he and <laughs> Thomas Earl have been, have been trying to get, uh, for years is more stripes mm -hmm. on the socks and they ask every year and adidas like even to this point they know that they're gonna ask about it and they're gonna be mm -hmm. like so it's just but they ask every year so this is not a there, there's limitations in manufacturing and all kinds of other things or i mean look dude i'm not running a multinational <laughs> freaking global um sports apparel company i don't know what all the the dynamics are and i just know what chad has said about it and they are, yeah, there, there are limitations there. At, at the end of the day, um, do you know what makes a kit iconic? Winning. Win, winning. That's it. That's it, right? If, 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 there's, if, a, if team... there's a gold star on that thing next <laughs> I mean, year, no, no right. one's, everybody's going to nope. buy one. I promise <laughs> you. 100%. <laughs> All right. So now that we've gotten through the kit discourse, the rest of the top three this week, that was, that was, the, that was the first of the top three. The rest of the top three this week, we signed a center back. Technically, <laughs> there is another player who plays center back on the roster. Um, that's all I can really say about Castellanos. <laughs> I, he's a USL sort of journeyman yeah. that was uh, was with Nashville, I guess, last year, but was mostly on loan. Yeah. Um, I don't. We don't know if he played in the last preseason scrimmage because we don't know anything <laughs> about the last preseason scrimmage. Um, Peter went back that? to ob obfuscating literally every detail possible, and I. I mean, I get it. You're a week away from um, the the first preseason match. You don't want to give too much away, but I mean. Sporting literally played against Portland in the preseason this year. It's not like they haven't seen each other and they don't know what some of these players are, um, yeah. except if he's been hiding Nemanja Radia from everyone and he actually played in this match. Um, Sporting won that match 4-2. They actually went down 2-1 and then scored a mm -hmm. flurry of goals after that. We don't know who scored them. We don't know what the lineups were at the time. We don't know anything. We just know that it was 2-1 at one point and then now and then a 4-2 a finish. Um we had mentioned last week that Sporting might have to beat teams four to two, four to three this year. <laughs> Again, it appears that they do have the attacking talent to potentially do that if necessary. But um, yeah, we don't really know anything else, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But Mario um, Castellanos, I, I, we we said this last week too. It's like don't expect something earth shattering here, and this was not shattering any earths for sure. Um. He's a depth signing. He's probably going to be a supplemental roster spot, which made me start thinking, okay, who could we potentially sign in the in the summer? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, I got myself way too far into the depths of transfer market and looking at center backs that were out of contract and of high value or significant value that could potentially be signed by Sporting Kansas City. Like, they probably, because of the U22 situation, even if they were to sign them and call them a DP, they'd have to be tamable. So you'd have to be max of, like, $1.62 in salary. Um, there wasn't a whole lot. I mean... Like there, there are some center backs that are out there that are playing in the Premier League right now that are out of contract and playing for teams that might get relegated. So like those exist, like a Marte at Leicester, um, who's the Colombian guy that plays for Everton but hasn't been playing very much lately. Um, I knew I should have had this stuff up. This is me being a great podcaster and not having all of the information I looked at up and available to me right now. Uh, but I mean, these guys are going to want three, four, five million a year. They're in their prime. I, I don't think that that's going to work coming to MLS at age 28 out of being out of the Premier League. Um, but there are some other ones there. Um, the one that stood out to me just profile wise, given how much sporting's been scouting the Bundesliga, especially the bottom half of the Bundesliga, is uh, Timo Huber. Uh, he plays for Cologne currently. He's on a really low contract, like 200,000 euro a year. Um, is out of contract this summer and has been starting regularly for Cologne lately. He's like 26. He's like six foot three. Um, 
right-footed center back looks to be kind of athletic and big I, that's the kind of player you could see them trying to make a move for and that's a guy you offer because cologne's not playing center backs a million and a half a year so that is someone that they could make a move for i have no idea if he fits in their system or any of those kinds of things so i'm just you know whatever like i said i got way too far down this rabbit hole trying to th- try to look at different players that could come in but there are some players out there um available in the summer let's just hope that we can get one of them because I do I mean, think this I, is going to be a problem. Ideally, ideally, we don't have to. I mean, ideally, we don't have to worry about it because uh, Volader is playing uh, really, really well. And, yeah, but what uh, if Volader uh, gets injured, or what if Fontas uh, gets injured? Well, sure, right. I I totally agree with that, and and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. You know, uh, what I'm saying is we ideally we won't have to go searching top end talent, right? And, Expecting and, your your starting center back pairing to play all 34 matches is. A very insanity. Peter Burmese thing. <laughs> it's insanity. <laughs> okay. We'll I see. mean, have we ever yeah. had two center backs play the entirety of a season together? I don't think so. And, and the thing to remember is Fontas is, you know, Fontas is no spring chicken. So uh, uh, when 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 you start to get those miles on And has legs, a spotted injury history. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, So, yeah, it's definitely concerning. I, I agree with you. Because seriously, we're, you know, one bad game away from, or bad injury or bad knock away from yeah. Nemanja Radia playing center back. Because I think that's what's the next step. I don't think it's Chris Rendolph. I don't think it's Robert Castellanos. I think those guys are playing Open Cup or something like that. Yeah. I, it's Nemanja Radia is the next backup plan, is the third string center back. And man, the, the dominoes that fall in that circumstance yeah. are significant. It's. It's pretty frustrating, honestly. It's really frustrating, and I noted this in the rundown because this was something that was known. We knew this in Mm -hmm. fucking October. This was a necessity to address. We knew it before then. We had to bring in quality depth at center back, and they did Mm -hmm. it. They let Nicolas Cisimontmarin go, ostensibly to create some space, and then, you know, bring in another player, and they never did. Yeah, and we and everybody knew they need. That's what they needed. I don't give a shit how good Courtney Ford looked in freaking preseason. You still needed another quality player at that position. Yeah, but we signed a third left back. You know what I mean? So it's like that. That kind of stuff is like. There's some galaxy brain shit going on here, and it's it's just happening in a different position. Last year it was at striker. This year it's at center back. And again, you, yeah. we spend so much time talking about the well, spine. It, I don't want to belabor I would say, this. I would but say it's striker, striker, and uh, and uh, the number six. Yeah, I mean both of those so, positions. So they, yeah. I mean, and it looks like they probably had Radia's deal ready to go in the summer, and it didn't happen mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And maybe it's because they signed Tommy and whatever. I can understand that stuff. But they they've just converted the striker problem to center back. Yeah, and, I, and 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 our defense wasn't great uh, to begin with last year, and so there's there's just uh, you know the first game is this weekend, and there's nothing but questions there. It's a you know it's a question. Um, um, yeah, how how good I, they're going to be? It's a question whether Roddy is going to play. It's a question who the goalkeeper is going to be. Roddy is um, Roddy is going to play. I promise you, Roddy is going to start this match. I think this is just a lot of smoke and mirrors. I think they have a really good number six. <laughs> what does Peter Burmese think? Like, like people aren't like coming out, going to come out and expect a four, three, three. And I mean, no, I don't, know. But I don't think they're <laughs> expecting, I don't think they're expecting a defensive midfielder with extremely high quality. I think that that's what's happened. I think this dude is a big, I, I he's, if, if the one thing that I'm excited for the next game, 10 games for, and we'll get to this when we get to the tactical stuff as well as what to look for. He's obviously the key to whether or not this team is going to be any kind of good. And yeah. the just like I said, the, the words I hear coming out of – now, granted, we heard this from Uri Rossell last year, but this is a little <laughs> different. This is a little different. It's more like yeah. what the players are saying, what, uh-huh. the, what the reporters that have seen training are saying. This, this fucking guy is good, like really good. Um, so I – I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm getting overly optimistic, but my concern is that he plays four games and shows out really well, and then he has to go back and play center back because somebody gets hurt. Yeah, and it it lowers the ceiling of the team significantly. And 
the point that I was making is we talk so much about the spine of this team. The two center backs, the six, and the center forward are so important to how this team plays soccer. And we've had significant depth problems at one or more of those positions regularly over the last couple of years. And mm-hmm. it just it's continuing. And so there's there's legitimate reason to be concerned about what this team can accomplish. And in fairness, most center backs aren't that good when they're 22. They've generally got skills. Mm-hmm. They, you can see their technical ability, and we've seen it from Robbie Volader. He has absolutely the technical ability, but they're going to do some bozo shit. Like, they generally do. Like, when we've seen him get lost on aerials, we've seen him, you know, may, you know, try to hit a long switch when it's not really on and his his defenders aren't in the right position to cover if it's not. Like, we've seen him make those kind of decisions and those are going to happen for sure this yeah. year. So, like, I, I, everybody needs to be ready. There's going to be some Robbie Volitor mistakes that happen, too. But, you know, we'll just have to deal with it. That's just all we got right now. Um, the good news from a roster-building perspective, going on to number three of the top three, is Udi Rossell signed with the LA Galaxy. So, Sporting does not have to use their offseason buyout on him. That um, gives them some flexibility in the salary cap without having to utilize that. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I wish the best for Uri. I have no idea if they signed him for the full four hundred and fifty thousand or whatever he was getting paid. Um, it seems like a lot for the Galaxy to invest in. Definitely a backup. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Sporting got some sort, some level of salary cap relief for it, um, and did not have to utilize their one buyout. So. There's all that. Um, Hooray. Yeah, maybe that frees up some cash to go invest in, you know, like not actual salary cap cash, but like ownership cash. in Because yeah. when they buy out, they actually have to pay to buy out that contract. Um, with, uh, with sporting, maybe that, you know, the ownership's like, okay, we got some extra cash to go after XYZ player in the summer. Hopefully a really good starting level center back. Okay. Tactical corner. Let's do it. This is our weekly deep dive into the tactical side of the game, how Sporting Kansas City is employing those tactics on the field. This week, we're going to talk about counterattacks and more specifically defending counterattacks because of two significant reasons. One, uh, Sporting Kansas City's opponent, the Portland Timbers, loves to get on the counterattack and absolutely eviscerated them in Portland <laughs> last year doing so. Was it 7-2 to or something like yeah, that? It was a, yeah, yeah. It was one of the worst games I've seen them play in several years. Um, they got absolutely destroyed. Uh, Johnny Russell still talks about it, like how much it upset him, how badly, like how they just sort of fell apart and just quit. Like it yeah. was something that he was very upset about at the time for obvious reasons. Um, and that was in what, that was in what like May, so it was it was not yeah really it was even it, it was begin- before the yeah, very was, beginning yeah it was not in the uh, beginning but it was like in the it was in the yeah. doldrums of the season yeah. for sure before Tommy and Agata showed up and where things were not going well yeah. um, so there, there was all of that for sure that was part of it um, but the second reason that we we talk about it is the style at which Sporting plays is going to give up transition moments. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily full-on counterattacks. They're going to try to stop the full-on counterattack from happening. But the positional play, the channels, the way that they move the ball forward and get very compressed in the attacking half is going to mean that they are susceptible on a turnover to getting played behind. And so it is something that they have to be aware of and ready to deal with at any given point in time. So it's it's very much, you know, a styles kind of clashing situation yeah. where Portland wants to sit back, absorb and counter and sporting definitely wants to get forward on the ball. So there's it and sporting is not um, is not alone in playing this way. Um, Manchester City plays this way. They are susceptible to counterattacks. Just watch how many times Tottenham Hotspur has killed them doing that over the last like four or five years. Um, there, it's very common of these positional play, possession style, like ball movement related uh, offenses, possession wise, to be susceptible to a counterattack. So, how do we deal with that type of thing? Um, a couple of items that we talked about last week when we talked about positional play and how this stuff works are primary tenets of Sporting's defensive posture, which are uh, counter-pressing, 
right? As soon as the ball is turned over, you're going, you're pressuring the person with that ball, with the ball to try to turn it back over in your advantage. Um, there are multiple reasons for this. One, obviously, you're not allowing that player time to pick out that pass, to play it over the top of you, do whatever they want to do in that circumstance. But also, you're allowing your the rest of the team to get in a defensive posture to deal with it. So both of those things are happening at the same time. Um, additionally, the other main tenet of what this team uses is what we call rest defense and rest defensive positioning, which is every time, even when you're in possession, you're looking at where your positioning is relative to your teammates in order to defend in the case of a turnover. You're trying to position yourself in a way that you have given your the entire width of your team and depth of your team the ability to defend when that turnover happens. And you know how, where your defensive responsibilities are when that happens. Um, it's a really big part of positional play, mainly because of what we talked about last week about how positional play works, right? You've got your vertical and horizontal channels. So what you're trying to do is place players in these vertical and horizontal channels to create a structure of shape. The same thing is true in your rest defensive posture, where you're trying to make sure that there's not significant space between your horizontal lines and that you're not too compressed in your vertical lines. So you've got width along with the appropriate amount of compression horizontally so that there's not a bunch of space in between to play into. Um, that's kind of how sporting looks to stop these transition events from happening. There's a couple other ways. Um, the one thing that, that is concerning about that is that when you're deep in your opponent's half, and I talked about this last week, um, your opponent can't be offside in their own half. So you can't play an offside trap. You can't play your back line too high. And they actually have to retreat effectively in these counter in these transition moments while still maintaining gaps and space control. So sort of like get the gist of what we're talking about here. Yeah, um, I, I think that the uh, a really important point is that um, the the style of uh, offense that sporting plays necessitates a very, very high line. And so um, the center backs are going to be all the way up, uh, as you mentioned, at half, even past half, sometimes even dribbling into uh, or towards the the uh, the eighteen yard box, and so you know when when you have that happening, I mean you just you can just you know see it you know picture picture it in your mind. There's there's just nothing but space uh, in in behind, um, and you know if you have somebody who's like a a, a manual Neuer sweeper keeper type of player, um, that can help negate some of that space. Uh, but Sporting does not have that that person, and um, mm -hmm. and and so. Um, and so what that means is that is that when the ball gets turned over, um, the counter press is is really important, and that's why you know uh, much to our chagrin, I mean, um, uh, you know, Vermes was last year really uh, singing the praises of of uh, uh, Kyrie Shelton, and one of the things that Kyrie Shelton does really well is he does press very well, um, and and and. Um, and honestly, so does Shallowee and so does Johnny Russell. And and the counter press begins with uh, your forward line. And if you don't have for a forward uh, line that that can effectively do it, then you're not going to be successful. Which is which is honestly, it's it, th th this is like why, you know, we snickered when uh, when Sporting Kansas City were rumored for Cristiano Ronaldo because like that is your 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 most forward player and that dude does not press right he's not he going to do press. that that's that's why that's why he wasn't that's why he's not at Manchester United anymore it's because they installed a pressing system and he doesn't do that and so uh, so so you have to I'm have not a pressing a system it's more that. it's a counter pressing system out of a three right, right. six that, very that, similar that, to what Sporting yeah, that's does what I mean. but yeah yep. mm -hmm. yeah yep. but th there's so there's two parts of that right so you talked about the the having effective forwards that can counter press. And the one thing I would say about this is I would say Kyrie Shelton is historically good at this. 
I don't think he was very successful at it last year, and I think that was part of the problem. He was running around a lot, attempting to press, but his presses were not effective. He wasn't winning anything when he was pressing. He wasn't getting the turning the ball back over. Shallowy and Russell, a lot better at that kind of stuff. Or Russell's a little bit better at the delaying tactic, which we'll talk about here in a second. Shallowy actually will turn the ball back over, and he's pretty good at finding his midfielder on his side as soon as he does that. Um, the other thing that's really well, important I, I, is... I just want to break quick. in. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. I just wanted to break in real quick and say that that one of the things that sporting does maybe a little bit differently than some teams also is they'll have their they'll have their their forwards drop back and they'll push the eights way up and press uh, and press with the eights really uh, or counter press with the eights really high and uh, and that's another thing that was lacking last year. So not only were we not getting uh, um, uh, effective counter press from Shelton, we weren't getting an effective counter press from whoever whoever was playing the eight at that point in time, unless it was just you know Roger in the the first half before he got gassed and so that was a, I think a big part of the struggles last year as well I think that's a that's a good highlight for sure because you'll actually see the triggers where all of a sudden the eights fly forward and the wingers drop back to defend um but I, what I would also say that's really important generally in a counter press is whoever made the turnover gets back on the ball quickly um and there are two reasons for it one of them is, like I was saying, is trying to turn the ball back over and get yourself into an odd situation in your opponent's attacking zone, like in the zone 14. The other reason is the delaying tactic, right? There's a big part of a counter press that is meant to allow your teammates to get back into a defensive shape um, with as significantly as Sporting presses numbers forward, especially in the opponent's half. There's only so much space negation they can do with the rest defensive posture. We've talked about this before, about how often, especially the Cam Dukes and the Felipe Hernandez of the world, like treat the 18-yard box like it's lava. Well, this is part of the reason why. They're pulled back generally because they're trying from a not to be in a bad place from a rest defensive position. You talked about, you know, like Nicolas C.C. Montmarine last year for sure was one that would like range forward on the dribble. And when you when you're when you're building out of a three in the back line, you can do that, right? You'll still have two people back and additionally especially when Roger was on the field, Roger's smart enough to rotate back into his position as well and cover that. That's something I think that is interesting to look for when those things happen. If a if a center back ranges forward, who's rotating back behind them to cover their rest defensive position because it's really important that someone does so that you don't have those swaths of space behind. So I think both of those things are really important to how this team sets up. It's okay for a center back to range forward and get an attack, especially when you're def- when you're building out of a back three. The question, the, the key is, are your teammates on the same page with you and are they modifying their positional responsibilities in relation to what you're doing? And this is, again, it goes into a lot of the stuff related to positional play, vertical and horizontal channels. Do we have too many players in one space? Are you making that rotation? And so I think that um, that stuff is really, in, you know, really important to look at, especially when you're talking about younger players like a Robbie Volader who may not have the experience and sort of sophistication in their game to be able to be at that um, positionally dynamic. We don't worry about Graham Zussi or Roger Espinosa or whoever seeing that on the fly, but there are younger players that aren't going to do that. And so how do you kind of manage those situations? I think to, to go back to the beginning, if Radia, Voltaire, and Tommy are on the field, in the midfield, I'm not that worried about it. Um, but if, you know, Volader or Fontas gets hurt and one of them have to move back, now all of a sudden some dominoes start falling. And I think that's the point that I was trying to make earlier is that the dominoes start falling pretty fast in that circumstance. Yeah, I agree. Um, I Let's sort of run through uh, a, like a typical – uh, sporting Kansas City attacking scenario and and uh, because I think it, it, it kind of illustrates uh, the things that need to happen so if if for instance you have you know interplay down the left wing um, whether it's you know shallowy and and uh, and whoever's playing left back uh, and Tommy some combination uh, of those players um, sort of you know advancing progressing the ball down the field through a mixture of of, uh, of passing and carrying and then um, you know the the um, 
the the point once you're down in the sort of attacking a third uh the idea is to uh, is to attack with your with your wing players right so so those are your those are the, are the creative dribblers on the team shallowy and russell um and you're attacking with them because you hopefully um, you've isolated them on uh, on a fullback, and you've made their job easier to defeat that that player one v one. And and the other the other reason why you attack on the wings like that instead of trying to you know drive the ball down the center uh, of the field is because when you if you if one of those players loses the ball, then you have the uh, the sideline and even the end line acting as um, as other defenders for you, right? So you can you can effectively trap the 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 defensive team who's now won the ball. You can trap them in the corner, and the responsibility, as you uh, as you rightly pointed out, the 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 primary responsibility is for the person who loses the ball to uh, to go apply immediate pressure to try try and win the ball back. the 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 important thing about positional play, though, is it, and uh, rest defense comes from what everybody else is supposed to do. Right? Uh, we're not like. We're we're not rushing the um, the um, the the player who now has the ball, um, but what we're doing is we're sort of sliding over, uh, and instead of uh, instead of um, ensuring our position um, gets us open like we do during positional play, we're now um, uh, we're now blocking passing lanes, right? So so we, you you're you're making sure that your positioning is such that your what's called your cover shadow. So that's like the if you could imagine like the the, the shadow behind you if you're facing a player with the ball. You it's make sure it's that almost conical shaped depending yeah, on yeah. like where you're, where you are in relation to the ball. Yep. There's this cone that sort of goes behind you as to where the ball could potentially go. So so your cover your cover shadow um, um, prevents. Um, uh, uh, an easy pass to an outlet uh, from a person from a player who's won the ball, and and if you're good at it, you can you can negate several passes just by your positioning, and that's one of the other reasons why uh, we rely on um, uh, veteran players to to do this so much is because that th- those subtle those subtleties in positioning um, they take a while and they're 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 difficult to do and they're difficult to to execute in real time. Um, um, when you're trying to win the ball back, and so so ideally, you 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 when you when you lose the ball, you're pressuring immediately down in the corner. You're the rest of the team is blocking off all of those passing lanes, and then you can win the ball back. And the nature of sporting some teams, like if uh, for example Red Bulls, right, a team like that, when they counter press, they win the ball back. They go right to goal immediately. Um, and Sporting Kansas City just uh, does not tend to do that. They'll they'll win the ball back. And then they'll recycle it back out to one of the center backs or to the uh, the the, uh, the the holding midfielder, and then and then sort of reset everything, Re- restart and, possession, and, yep, set the play, yep, and go yep. and, and recall the play and go. That's, Very much so. That's it yep. right there. Yeah, I, I think that um, the the differences in philosophy about what you do when you recover the ball are. are for sure going to be very depending on the type of system that you're running. The positional play system is such that if you've got the structure correct and if you execute the structure correctly, you're going to eventually create an odd situation that it puts one of your attacking players in space facing a defender. That's what you're looking for. Or in space facing the goalkeeper, one or the other. That That's really the ideal of what they're trying to accomplish. So you get back into that setup and you run that system again. Um, the other part that I think is really important is that when you're so for the example that you used about shallowy, like being able to use both the end line and the touch line as a defender, and he gets on the back of the fullback that has received the ball and sort of closes off the options that he has, he can also look and be like, hey, is this guy about to find a pass around me? OK, fine. Kick it out of bounds. What do we get to do at that point? We get to set back. We get to go right back into our regular defensive posture which for sporting for the most part is a mid block four one four one four five one and um once they're in that in that structure we have seen that they've been fairly good at defending where they struggle is if someone if there's too much gap between the counter pressing player 
and the person that has to defend the next player and that that space gets negated and then you've got Andre Ufantas trying to chase a runner and that's just bad for sporting all the way around for sure uh, so what they're trying to do is even if if I can't get the ball I'm making sure that that player either spends too much time trying to find the pass or is fouled, played out of bounds, any of the other delay tactics that you can use to allow your whole team to set back in its defensive posture. Those are the main goals. Either counterpress, counterpress to get the ball or to ensure that the ball is not played effectively to someone behind you. So so th- those are a- that's absolutely the goal. The goal of the team who you're playing against um, there are there are different strategies uh, depending upon what kind of style you uh, the team plays. If it's a if it's a team like um, um, LAFC uh, who play sort of a similar kind of system, a possession based system, they they're go- they're going to focus on build out right. So they don't they're not going to try and try and 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 all the time. They're not going to focus on transition. They're gonna they're gonna uh, keep the the ball they're going to pass back to for instance their goalkeeper or to their center backs you have a, a, a team full of players who can who can uh pass um so you're going to try and, and pass your way out of that pressure which is uh which is exactly what sporting would do if that happened on in sporting's defensive third they would for the most part they're going to attempt to try and uh and um and pass out of the back um uh, and uh um, overcome the pressure that way. Um, some teams um, just boot it long and um, and try and win second balls or try and have a a, a large uh, center forward you know hold the ball up um, that way. Um, a, a team like Portland doesn't um, they don't play a lot of long balls. Um, they they keep the ball on the ground and they pass. Um, they pass their way uh, in in, tra- in quick transition. And typically, you know, what you're going to see is that that so you've got the two center backs in Chara, right? So that's basically going to be their kind of their basic, you know, beginning of their spine is Chara, and then it's probably going to be um, Maibiala and Zuparic are going to be the two center backs that are going to be um, playing that. The full backs are kind of kind of be in the sort of midfield area and then you'll have Eric Williamson dropping back to provide support to Chara and between those five they're going to find where you know they can create they can actually whoever's on possession they're going to play off them to give them an outlet and then the front three are pretty dynamic in their positioning if you ever remember seeing Sebastian Blanco he would receive on these on these um, counterattacking moments inside the half circle on his own half, he would pull all the way up to give outlets in those circumstances. So one of the things that's going to be really important for sporting is, is the Radia tracking that guy pulling back? Because it's a very common tactic for them to use. And it could be any of their wingers, depending on where they're located. Any of the front, any of that line of three. So the, the 10 and the two wingers could be any of those people pulling back into the their own half to receive and at that point they're trying to pass the ball around them to the runner either crossing it to the opposite sideline or to uh, or flipping it around sort of Tottenham style to the center forward who's making a run which is good, probably going to be Miesgoda so and they've got a really good new number 10 in Evander who they like broke their club you know transfer fee record to get from Denmark. I I don't know how good Evander is. We're going to have to find out, but they paid a shitload of money for him. So they must believe that he's that level. He's been playing in the Danish Superliga for the last five years. Now he's very young, but he's been very productive in that league um, as a very, you know, 20 to 24 year old. So that's the that's going to be the key for sporting is, is Radia cutting out those options? It's going to be so important. We've talked so much on this podcast about how important the six is to this team, and this is the key part of it about why it's so important. We've got guys who can hit passes and get into the attacking third and do all that other stuff from the position. What is essential 
to making this team work is that six seeing that outlet and cutting it out it's so so important you don't have to be the best tackler on earth you don't have to go clean guys out but you have to read this play as it's happening and cut it out and peak Ilya sanchez was fantastic at it like that's the thing that i don't think anybody remembers about Ilya, but the man had a nose for intercepting passes was unreal good at it you know who else was really good at it was matt beasler these are guys that like mm-hmm. read the game really well and could could sense where that ball was going and step into that lane or step onto the back of the guy and stop him from receiving like that is going to be just an essential part of how this team is able to negate these opportunities from happening yeah uh and and it just sort of underlines what we've talked about before in terms of the the importance of uh of sort of your traditional number 10s in, in the league and you know I think if you look around uh, a lot of those teams rely heavily on transition and and the reason why is because those are those are moments where the def- the the defense is in um is in disarray and and uh, a really skilled player can um can put their stamp on the game and have like a a, a moment or two of individual brilliance and you know we've seen uh, uh blanco do that against us multiple times and and um and the 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 you're 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 correct in diagnosing that the counter um to to that specific uh, problem is uh, a good holding midfielder and you know i think that um Towards the towards the end of his time here, uh, one of the things that Ilya just didn't have the range uh, to to shut down uh, those players uh, like he did at the beginning, and so and so that necessitated you know um, maybe dropping back another midfielder to help him out, which is not really what the look, team look, does. And so that's, that's not what that's this what, team does. But that, look what LAFC does. Absolutely, absolutely. They're like, yeah, hey, we've got Kellen Acosta who can run ten miles uh-huh. a game. Let's let's yep. use him in that way. Exactly. Yeah, they almost ran uh, a trivet, to be completely honest. Like, they had yeah. guys that would rotate back because Cifuentes mm-hmm. is very good defensively as well. They, they, yeah, that midfield was really good, really good. They, they rotate like crazy, and they, they rotated like that even, even before last year. I mean, they, when, when, um, um, uh, Latif was in the midfield. Uh, mm-hmm. They rotated similarly. So it's a bunch of high uh, engine guys in there for sure. Yeah, with with yeah. Ilya, it's not, but they, they had the guys around him to support it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so that I think that that's something to really look for this weekend is is um, uh, Portland playing uh, on on the counterattack uh, and uh, and how how well Radia does against that. I, I think it's. I mean, I'm pretty excited, honestly. Um, I do think that that Portland, um, and I, I I don't mean to sort of jump in and start uh, reviewing Portland, but uh, or previewing Portland, but. Um, it kind of it kind of works. So uh, one of the things that Portland doesn't have uh, is their top scorer from last year, uh, Dyron Espria, uh, who is uh, a really fast player uh, on the wing who can uh, get in behind defenses. And so I think that that's something. Uh, uh, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> I mean, we don't mm. have to worry about that, so that's good. Jimmy um, Chara and, hasn't been that effective since they've yeah. signed him, I and mean, he's been a good player. He he reminds me a lot of Gerso, like does a lot of things that gets him into space, but mm-hmm. isn't the most lethal finisher. So, you know, from that perspective, you, whereas Dyron could score from anywhere. Um, yeah. Now, and he typically does. That's how he scores. He scores from, you know, wild angles crazy goals there's no tap-ins for dyron but um yeah that 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 is going to be a problem for them it'll be interesting to see how evander helps them unlock that i kind of thought when they were going to sign somebody that they were going to sign a marquee striker because i mean niazgoda is fine but he's not you know someone I think of as like a really dangerous player. Yeah. You know what I mean? And of course mm-hmm. I'm going to eat my words. He's going to have a hat trick on Saturday, but y- you know what I mean? Like he, he's yeah. not a, he's not one that you look at and like behind him, it's Felipe Mora. Um, they got Fogacha. Like th- these aren't players that I, I, now granted I don't watch Portland every day, but they're not ones that I'm filled with fear about. Sebastian Blanco. Yeah. Scared me. Like it, and I mean, I still remember sitting in the damn watching him hit that <laughs> fucking banger uh, to knock uh-huh. us out of the playoffs in 2018. <laughs> like I really thought that that was that was our best shot in the last like five yeah. years, yeah, um, for sure. And just absolute dagger. I mean, and that's what having players of that quality can give you is, the, is they could just change uh-huh. a game on their own. Um, yep. 
I don't think I don't think Minnesota's going to have that happening for them this year. But um. it doesn't look like it. <laughs> well, and and, Frank, and and frankly, that's I mean that's that's what Sporting Kansas City uh, was missing for a lot of those years when uh, when they were you know at the top of the Western Conference and and always competing. They just sort of they just sort of missed uh, those those magical those those DPS those high level DP players who were capable of of moments of brilliance in the playoffs. And you know most teams have those players. Most most uh, elite teams in MLS, and so uh, Sporting has those players now, and hopefully Sporting has an elite number six because that's kind of what it takes. Yeah, well, especially given the center back situation, they're gonna need they're gonna need Radia to be the level that we're hoping that he is. Absolutely. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to a little bit more on that match here in a second. Let's get to potpourri, uh, just like everybody's favorite Jeopardy category. This could be any topic in and around the sporting Kansas city, MLS soccer sphere. This time it's actually the U S women's national team. Um, she believes cup is happening. And, um, you and I were talking, talking a little bit about this before the pod. This has been a problem that's been in place for almost the entirety of the time that Vlaco has been the head coach. The, the U S women's national team has the most unreal set of attacking talent that you can think of. Now, granted, some of them have been injured and there's different people coming through. But because of that, because it is so deep, they can just trot out players that any team in the world would love to have. But they can't seem to get them the ball. <laughs> and it's honestly some stubbornness, in my opinion, from Vladko about how he's employing the, the midfield. Um, I, I can understand, under, like, you know, you want a defined system and a philosophy but they've really struggled to be consistently good in the midfield. And it's looked even worse this in this She Believes Cup because Rose Lavelle has not been available. I mean, she's not like injured, injured. She just got a little bit of a knock and they're not, they don't want her to be injured, injured. And so like you're seeing, you know, Lindsay Horan and Ashley Sanchez um, playing as the eights, the eight tens, um, there was they played the very first match they played they played very well, and um, that was against Canada, yes. Yeah, and that was and that was Andy Sullivan having, and in uh, you know she was on one, um, and we talked about this how important the six is in this system just like it is for sporting, um, but unfortunately Andy Sullivan doesn't do that all the time. She didn't even start the next match, and you could just see again like how much they struggled. Christy Mewis was playing the six against the Japan and Japan dominated a lot of that game because yeah. of it. And um, outside of some insane saves from Casey Murphy and like one moment of brilliance from uh, Mallory Swanson, this game would have, could have easily gone a different way. And it's just, it's a, it's a common theme, especially late last year when they like lost three in a row for the first time in like 20 years or whatever it was. And I'm just, I'm, I'm confused. Um, I especially because, you know, all these I don't know if you saw this stuff, but all these, you know, this interview Crystal Dunn with did with GQ where they, you know, they asked her about what it's like to be, you know, a, such a successful attacking midfielder for her club, but playing left back for the national team. And, um, you know, she would I don't think she said anything completely out of bounds. It was just like, hey, you know, it's difficult. You know, it's hard to get your head around it. You know, you come, you you play a position all the time, then you come to the national team, you have to do something completely different, and you're not allowed to do the things that you like to do or have been really succeeding at, and it's hard to deal with. I don't think that that's any earth-shattering information, but of course it became it made the rounds, and Vladko some, for some reason addressed it in a press conference, um, and made some comments about how she's such a world-class left back. And I'm like, okay, I don't disagree with that. She's an extremely good soccer player that ha that reads the game well and understands the game well, so you can put her at many positions and she su can succeed there. Is it the best idea to take one of your smartest, most adept soccer players and put them at left back? Is that the best way to employ your talent the most effectively when you are trying when your midfield is struggling as much as it is? And that's the part I struggle with. And you and I talked about this off podcast. I don't understand the infatuation with Lindsay Horan. She's a very, very good soccer player. I'm not saying that she's bad, but she's far from undroppable in this group. Like yeah. this group is talented enough 
that it's not like she's undroppable. And for whatever reason, she seems to be in Blocko's eyes, and I don't get it. Well, you know, I think that um, I think that this goes back to sort of a, a repeating theme on this podcast, and that's that if, if you uh, if if you're a coach and you decide that you're going to uh, rely on a single pivot system, that single pivot better be uh, an elite player. And Julie Ertz uh, is an elite player, and that's it. There's nobody else um, that. Uh, that I'm aware of, or obviously that Vlatko is aware of in the in the in the pool, that is uh, elite um, an an elite single pivot player, uh, and so that just sort of then begs the question: um, it, it, Are you are you a flexible enough coach to to shift your uh, your shape a little bit and play maybe with more of a double pivot or you know a triple pivot like we just talked about with uh, with Bob Bradley and and um, uh, when he was the LAFC coach, so so there are solutions available, but you have to be a uh, you have to be willing uh, as uh, as a coach to be flexible and to use those solutions, and and it doesn't seem like Vlatko is quite there yet, uh, and and well, candidly, do you want him trying it now? Like, I mean, the World right, Cup I mean, starts in you know six months, so or four, five months. Like why? I don't know that now is the time to do it, but you wish you would have done it before now. Well, so like, how, so if how you can look, you not look at the player pool and not recognize you only really have one six on the roster? Yeah. It's Andy I mean, Sullivan, Greg, and she's good, but she's not like amazing. And you, now you're trying to get Taylor Korniak to play the six. Like th- this is the rant, This is the stuff that happens. They're scrambling to try and figure out solutions to a problem that should have been solved twelve months ago. Yeah, it just takes us like such a special player, and uh, and the thing is, is that we we've already talked about sort of the the the, the ground covering and defensive responsibilities of, a, of of the holy midfielder in that role, but but the 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 uh, attacking responsibilities are are significant too, and that's why uh, Tyler Adams has been sometimes criticized because he's got the all of the ground covering and and defensive. Uh, prowess that you could want in that uh, in that position, but uh, he sometimes uh, he sometimes struggles to find the the, the right pass, um, especially passes that break lines and or passes that or that switch fields. Specifically, are, when are, he is receiving on with his back to with his right. with his back to and his opponent's goal, that's th- a problem. That's, he doesn't half turn. He doesn't get around yeah. guys. Yeah. And that's that's another thing that I was going to mention is that uh, is that that. A single pivot at that position has to be a 360 degree player. They have to be able to to play um, uh, at, at, with with their back any any or, or facing any direction uh, that the situation calls for. And and it is like it is so difficult to do that. And especially at uh, at that high of a level, uh, it's not. A, it's not like a plug and play type of thing. Like you can't take, for instance, you know, we just talked about how great Crystal Dunn is, but you couldn't, you can't. That's not a player that you can take and put in that position. Um, I'm not, she I'm doesn't not have that skill set. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I know. I'm just. I, it's yeah. just. I'm just. It's an. It's an example of how how unique the the qualifications to play that position at a high level actually are, and 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 that, in my opinion, is why um, is why Flacco's uh, struggling, and I think that the 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 simple uh, the, the the simple solution uh, the armchair quarterback solution is to f- play a four two three one and uh, focus more on transition moments because you've got uh, you've got um, amazing creative uh, attackers who can do that um, and then you you take the uh, uh, a little bit of the burden off of whoever you're asking to play that that single pivot. Yeah, I think that there there's a couple dynamics here that I find really interesting about this, right? One of them is it's obvious that Andy Sullivan's the only real six on the team. She's not at Juilliard's level in quality, or at least consistent quality, I guess is the way I would describe it. Um, but secondarily, they don't have the central midfielders that um, they need to make this system work. I am every day realizing more and more how good of a soccer player Sam Mewis is because when you see other people try to do what she does they can't they're just not good at it I I watched the whole Japan match and I just get got extremely frustrated by the inability of Lindsay Horan to check her shoulder when receiving the ball like this is this is basic kind of stuff 
um, field vision stuff that you need to be doing, especially someone as experienced as her. Like I can understand a 22 year old doesn't understand how fast someone can close on them and is not paying attention to it. She's like 28, 29 years old. Like she's been, and she's got what, 200 caps or whatever for the U S now. Like you can't, or maybe I was Alex Morton that got 200, but anyway, she's got over a hundred caps for the U S national team. You can't, receive the ball and not understand who's on your who's coming over your shoulder and understand how to protect yourself from it and she gave away the ball like three or four times just just because she was dilly-dallying on it and not checking her shoulder like scanning the field is a really important thing that midfielders have to do at all times and as much as i can say about tyler adams and his you know in a he, he doesn't half turn and he doesn't like look behind him and try to figure out ways to use that to his advantage he also doesn't give up the ball in those circumstances either yeah he'll just he'll just play the pass back to his center back just to make sure that nothing yep. bad happens and and that's what i'm saying is like there are some things that when sam Mewis was playing at left side at eight she first of all, has the physique to deal with someone on her back, is very good at that part of it. But second, secondly, was reading those plays and could play off of that run and turn them and go with go forward. And we don't have that right now. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if Lindsey Horan's more of like a 10. I don't know if that's her skill set. Um, whatever thing that Vlatko's got her doing is just not working. In my opinion, it's it's rarely successful, and um, I just feel like that there's some opportunity there. I believe I believe that Crystal Dunn would do more with that position right now than Haran is doing. That's just my personal opinion, um, and it's not as if the team doesn't have useful left backs on the roster. They didn't even bring yeah. Haley Mace to this this to this to this uh, um, cup. And they absolutely could have. Emily Fox can play either side. She might be the best right back on the team, even though she's left back. That's a whole nother conversation about the right back depth. But there, it's just I, I feel like he's there's he's trying too hard to solve the number six problem because you know obviously he's like beholden to this system and not recognizing that the other issue is is that the support from the central midfielder next to the six is not great either. Yeah. And that's part of the problem. And yeah, I'm just, I don't know. Well, the other, the other thing that uh, bringing Crystal Dunn into the midfield would do is uh, make the team a lot more fun to watch. Because let me tell you, they are not, uh, for me, like they're not an engaging watch at all. I, I don't watch them very, very closely, mostly because uh, they're boring as hell. It reminds and, me of what Didier Deschamps has done is, to France. Yeah, like, I mean, France it's has like, some of the most dynamic players on the planet, and they play the most boring ass shit that you could possibly imagine. Yeah, but 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 France knows how at least to to uh, to uh, um, uh, take advantage of transition moments, and and uh, there are players on on the the women's team who know how to do that, and. Um, you know, and that's you know that's why uh, uh, Mal Swanson has such has had such success. A lot of a lot of her successful moments have come in uh, with her pushing the envelope in transition. And um, when you when when you're a an elite player and you're that much better than the the, the your opponents, uh, you better be doing that. And and so I, I think that that's um, you know that's a, a, at least a reason for some optimism, but uh, but yeah, just generally speaking, um, they're they're just not uh, a very entertaining uh, group to watch, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's about well, and all their it's because all of their possession movement comes from wide, and then yeah. once it gets up to the wide side, they're kind of stuck at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so their only option is to hit a cross. And it's just, you know, I mean, Alex Morgan can score a header from time to time, but it's, this is not target. Being a target forward is not really anybody's forte no. on this uh, on this roster. No. So, like, it, it just becomes, like, you know, think about the old talk and touches days when, you know, Gooch would be like, hey, how many, how many freaking yep. cross, did we, did we go over yep. 18 crosses? Because <laughs> that's what yep. seems like happens watching this team. Um, so, I, you know, I'm hopeful that when some better players arrive, Macario looks like she's going to be available for the World Cup, which is good. Um, Sophia Smith coming back will be good. Um, you know, there, there's a variety of the there's a variety of quality players. I, I that, totally forgot you know, about Sophia Smith and holy yeah. crap. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they have so they, many good they players. Got, they got Lynn Williams and Trinity yeah. Rodman played right wing in that game. Sophia yeah, Smith's not even in, in this camp. So wild. <laughs> 
So yeah, it's it's unreal how good the attacking talent is on this team if they could just find a way to get him the ball in any kind of adv- advantageous situation. Yeah. I mean that that would it, that's what I would do. Uh, that my whole game plan would be to get Rose Lavelle the ball in space and uh, and let her uh, that's going to help play. a lot. Let her yeah, play through wouldn't... balls to Alex Morgan and 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 play through the center of the pitch. I mean, you know, I in, in the little bit that I did watch the other day, it looked like uh, there was all co- there was all kinds of space in the middle of the field that they weren't able to take advantage of, uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, that's I mean, you need it's really good midfielders to, to do watch. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really frustrating to watch because you're right. There was acres of space in the midfield, and yeah. they just couldn't get to it. Um, Rose being available will help. Sidebar before we get to the to the last thing here, Dabinia has been oh man murdering fools. <laughs> <laughs> she has been committing crimes yeah, on the field so, against I'm their so opponents. I'm so excited to watch her. And oh. this is gonna uh, if you're a Casey Current fan, like Dabinia looks to be in full form right now, yeah, she and does. she is she is she is saucing it up out there, which is great. Great for us as KC soccer fans. It's so great. It's so great. Okay. One thing to look for. This is our one thing to look for in the next week. Um, We actually have things to look for because it's a game on Saturday. (laughs) An actual game that means something. Well, it sort of means something because all we have to do is be one of the nine best teams in the conference to get into the playoffs. (laughs) But... (laughs) It's sort. It, it has more meaning than the the games that have been or scrimmages that have been occurring in the last month. Um, I think the key is just going to be for both teams. How do these new additions fit in? How mm-hmm. do they add to their team? For Portland, it's obvious going to be Evander. How successful can he be integrating into this team and be immediately part of it? You saw how big of a deal it was when Eric Tommy and Willie Agata came to Sporting in the summer. And how quickly they were able to integrate into the team, the team structure, and be a part of it. That's going to be the same thing for Portland with Evander. Is he able to actually, you know, be successful right off the hit? We already talked about Radia. I don't want to belabor this point. It's going to be a huge part of this game for Sporting. Is he able to help negate counterattacks? Is he able to, you know, stop that, stop Evander from being successful? That's really going to be the interesting part that we have to look at from this. Um, for me, the one that I'm kind of interested in is Tim Leibold. Is he able to sort of combine the you know final third quality of Ben Sweat along with the sort of end-to-end coverage capabilities, the defensive capabilities, and the ball progression capabilities that, that Logan and Denbe has? Um I've heard, again, a lot of positive things about what this guy looks like. Given how much, given that they invested a bunch of salary cap space in this guy for a third left back and did not get another center back, if he's not really fucking good, I'm going to be pretty frustrated, honestly. Yeah. Because um, they, they, they chose to sign this guy and did not bring in any help in the center back line. Yep. So this guy better be really fucking good. Yeah, they they chose to sign him at one of the few uh, places on the team where the they have depth, right? And so yeah, you're like, what? He, why? Yeah. Even Ben Sweat didn't know why. He was like, I yeah. guess I might be playing center back. He said that in an interview. He's like, I don't know if they're moving me to center back. I don't know what's happening. I... Poor Ben Sweat. <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know, but so he better be good. Um, yeah, I, 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 ha- I think he will be, based on nothing he, other than gut he, feeling. You, you, the thing is, is that if he's not, like, what a miss. Like, they really fucked this up, if, if that's yeah. the case. You, you would have, like, knowing how, um, knowing how this team is, if they have a guy that they've targeted, they found that they really like, and he's available, they go get like they're really high on him. They go get him, mm-hmm. and it's been rare that they've done something like this and it hasn't panned out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you could say Fontas is one of them, but honestly, when Fontas wasn't dealing with an injury, he's been pretty good. The only time, I mean, last year he didn't have the greatest season from a um, you know defensive coverage perspective but that's never been his game that that, no, that has a lot he's more an to, elite passing center back that's that has game. a lot more to do with all of the dysfunction in the midfield than it does yeah. with him 
And so I think that um, I understand why people look at that as not the greatest signing in the world, but um, right. I, I, I don't... think I think it's mostly because of how much money uh, it was originally. But uh, uh, but I agree. I mean, it's a lot of money for sure to invest of your salary budget, right? If you think if, you're, if mm -hmm. the salary budget's roughly 10 million, you got 1.2 wrapped up in a center back, you expect that that is gonna be a really significant play. Um, he's, but if you're gonna run this system, you need an elite passing center back to do it. Yeah. And that's just a key component of it. You don't necessarily need two, but you definitely need one. I think it was a, I think the bigger, faux pas was spending another million dollars on Nicolas Isimot Marine yeah. and getting someone who was candidly less effective than Fontas. Um, it, and I, it, I think that that was the bigger miss, honestly. Now yeah. you've got 2.2 million wrapped up in a back line that, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it was not, it was not a good pairing. They, no. they 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 tried to get two of similar center backs and that's just not the right thing for this they, they looked good like one every out of every five games so you know uh yeah that's but that's you need more but but fontas has been like best 11 quality yeah a couple times it, it, he's just mm -hmm. been also injured and um you know last year notwithstanding Oh, okay. Much like much like Ilya, he needs to be. You, you gotta have the right. Well, much like every player, frankly, you have to you have to have the right pieces around them, you know. And so, if and if you if you do, then everything looks easy and you look like a genius. And if you don't, then uh, you you look like you have no idea what the hell you're doing. So, let's hope that it's the former this year. It's interesting to think about just how important it's been. Every season that Fantas has been great. He has had a six playing at an extremely high level in front of him. Um, his, you know, best 11 season, Elie was on, you know, that was like 2018. Elie was in fantastic condition for that one. Um, the first half of 2021, Busio was playing the six. Elie was next to him. They had a really good sort of communication and partnership. And you had three really heady, smart soccer players understanding those positions and playing them. You hope, that Radia is the right one for him. Obviously, he knows him from his career in Spain. They, you know, had, he had a lot to do with why Radia came to Sporting Kansas City. So put up or shut up time for sure. Yep. Let's go. All right. On that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We will talk to you all next week. Bye bye. <laughs>